Well, uh, I have to tell you that I am super excited about this preaching series that we're headed into. This is uh, one of my favorite passages of scripture. Uh, so I'm so glad that uh, uh, Craig and Michael, that, that as they've been thinking about this, this is the direction that we're headed in. Um, there's also a lot of cultural baggage attached to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of people want to want to make Jesus uh, fit their framework, and so uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, we're gonna we're just going to see uh, what what Jesus was doing with these words. But before we get into that, I have a question for all of you, and my question to you is this: Can you relate to the experience of poverty? Can you relate? to what it is to have nothing. Uh, one of my goals this morning is to get every person in this room to relate to that experience, to, to relate to what it means to have nothing. Because poverty is, it's a lack of resources so extensive that it seems as if everything in your life is broken because of what you lack. Now, my guess is that, that my goal of getting everybody to relate to the situation of poverty is actually going to be pretty difficult because for the vast majority of us, most of us, not, not all of us and not all the time, but most of us have basic necessities of life. We have food, we have clothing, we have shelter, we have family, we have support systems. Uh, by and large, relating to poverty is going to be difficult for us because even when things are going wrong in our life, uh, our life still functions. Things still uh, can go right. Things, things still work out. And so I recognize that my work is cut out for me because the reality is, is that uh, the whole of our lives especially living in the country that we live in right now, the whole of our lives, it's, it's actually pretty difficult to understand uh, poverty from that perspective. But, but we can probably think of a few experiences uh, that we've had in our lives. Uh, some, some things where, where uh, things just didn't work out right, where we look at, at something happening in our own lives and, and, um, and it just it didn't work out. It, uh, we lacked something. And as we think about those experiences, I think they're going to help us be able to relate to the situation of poverty. Not understand it completely, but maybe be able to relate to it. So uh, I want to uh, first make a statement that what I'm not talking about with this, uh, these experiences that we might have is I'm not talking about like first world problems. So uh, I, I lost my keys today, and uh, so I had to call a friend and get a ride to work, and then things at work just didn't go well, and, and then uh, nobody at work could give me a ride home, and so I had to take the train home, right? Like, that, that's a, a first world problem. Yes, things didn't go right in that situation, but like, you could get a ride from a friend. You have a job. Um, you could get home. You had the money to buy a train ticket to get home. Like, the, so that's, that's a first world problem. Like, or I'm not talking about like, oh, my stove is broken this week and it's so horrible because now I have to cook all of my food in the microwave this week. And, and then some of you are like, well, what's wrong with cooking food in your microwave this week? Um, the, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about first world problems. I'm talking about experiences. Experiences you've had in your own life, or maybe you, you've watched happen in somebody else's life where there was a desperate lack. 
a lack in a particular area that actually stretched beyond that area into other parts of your life, and other parts of your life started to feel broken because of what you lacked in this one particular area. So, so I can tell you uh, about an experience that I've had with this um, off and on throughout my seminary studies. I just finished seminary in May, um, and seminary is uh, intellectually taxing. It takes a lot from you intellectually. It takes a lot from you emotionally. It takes a lot of your focus. It takes a lot of your time. And so as I was investing in seminary, I, find my, I found myself sometimes frustrated because I felt that I lacked what I needed to, to accomplish this thing and, and do it well. And, and what I lacked there, it actually uh, stretched into other parts of my life so that, that this experience of lack that I had in, in just not being able to do things uh, well all the time in my seminary studies, it, it stretched in other parts of my life, my relationships and, and the way that I interacted with people, those things started to feel broken because of what I lacked. Now, that's minor compared to some of the experiences that most of you have probably had. Maybe you have cared for a sick loved one, and, uh, and in caring for that sick loved one, you've poured years of your life. You've poured money and time, and energy, and, and what you lacked because of this loved one's sickness, it actually began to stretch into other parts of your life, so, so that, that life uh, all across the board became more difficult because your time is running out, and your money is running out, and your energy is running out. Maybe you yourself have battled a disease where you had to go out of work, where, where what you were lacking physically began to stretch into other areas that demanded more of your time to focus, and, and you didn't have a job, and, and your relationships get strained. Maybe you have a situation where financial ends just aren't coming together, and, and so what you lack financially actually starts to stretch into other areas of your life. Your life starts to feel broken because of what you lack. Maybe you have simply had a season where it looks like that everything you touch fails. You have things that you're supposed to accomplish, uh, goals that you want to set, and, and every time you take a step, it falls apart. And the stress of not being able to accomplish, it actually it begins to stretch into other parts of your life so that your relationships feel broken. Your, your emotional health is harmed. Your ability to relate to people, it, it becomes more difficult. You see, we all have these times when we experience the lack of necessary resources, and what we lack is so extensive that it stretches into other parts of our life. Now, I want to talk about a report, an important reality. Poverty is more intense and longer lasting than any of these experiences. But, but these experiences these experiences of desperate lack that we have, they can help us begin to relate to the situation of poverty. And this is why it's important for us to relate to this situation. Jesus is talking to impoverished people, and he, he's going to talk about the poor, the people who are impoverished in spirit. And what he's doing is he's using the situation of poverty to, to help us understand how we stand before God. And so relating to the situation of poverty is going to be crucial for us this morning as we move forward. So if you have them with you, please open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we are heading into, like I said, a preaching series on the Beatitudes. Now the word Beatitude, the reason we call it that, it's a, a, a hangover from the Latin language, uh, which is uh, the word for blessing. Latin is 
Beatitude is the word for simply blessing. Now, culturally, the way that, that we typically use this is uh, we talk about them as good moral and ethical teaching. So uh, in, um, we hear the phrase that, oh, Jesus was a really good teacher. When people say, oh, Jesus was a really good teacher, they're typically referring to the Sermon on, on the Mount and, and usually the Beatitudes in that. And so uh, culturally, we think of it as moral or ethical teaching or, or ideals to live by. And I don't want to say that that's not what it is, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. And so um, what they really are, to, to understand that, we're actually going to have to understand a bit of Jesus's context. So right before chapter 5 in uh, Matthew 4 verse 22, uh, it says, uh, it gives us the context for what happens. It says, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So this is the disciples uh, and they, they had just gotten out, they, they had just left behind their livelihood to start following Jesus. In 23, it says, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. In chapter 5, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. So this is uh, one of the first things that we have to understand is who is actually there with Jesus. Uh, As the people who are around him, the people who are listening to him, and I think we have three categories of people who are listening in to Jesus' words. The first category we have are um, the disciples. We have all these people with varying perspectives, and one of the groups is the disciples. And these are the people who left their livelihoods so they could follow after this guy they thought was the Messiah. So you have the disciples, and, and they're figuring things out. They're still trying to understand Jesus, still trying to understand what following him is all about, but they know that this thing that, that they're doing is good. They know that this following after Jesus is good. And then you have the sick and the poor. These are people who are honestly just desperate. They know that Jesus is a healer. They, they've seen Jesus as a person who has a lot of influence, and usually people with a lot of influence are not willing to draw near to them. People who have a lot of influence are, are not willing to empathize with them, are not willing to touch them, but Jesus touches them, and not only that, he heals them. And so, so you have this group of uh, sick and poor people who are drawing near to Jesus, who are looking, and then you probably have a third group of people who would be like skeptics and onlookers. People who, these are the, origi- the religious elite, the, the self-righteous, the people who are curious about Jesus. Maybe, maybe some of them are looking to, to rub shoulders. You know, Jesus has a lot of influence. If I could just rub shoulders, get to know him a little better. So you have these different groups of people who are there. And uh, something that we have to understand is because of our cultural context right now, uh, we, when we read about anything that Jesus has to say about the poor, uh, we tend to transfer uh, a middle class onto the text. And the reality is, is that a middle class is, is only something that's happened because of democracies. So, so democracies 
uh, create the environment for a middle class to exist, but in every other country that's not a democracy, there's a sharp division between the rich and the poor. And so there's no, the, the, it's still the same case in Jesus' day as he's with these people. There's this sharp division between the rich and the poor. And so, uh, so the question is, with, with these, this group of people who is listening to Jesus, who is Jesus to them? Who is he? He's just starting off his earthly ministry. He's just uh, got a start. He's gone around and obviously started healing people. His disciples have started following him. This is Jesus' first recorded sermon that we have. So it's very 